The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All and Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Hi, everyone. Today's guest can only be described as an actual living legend. As the queen of reality television from her time spent on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and later Vanderpump Rules, Lisa Vanderpump is as well known for her skills at designing and running over-the-top glamorous restaurants and homes as she is for her quick wit and charismatic persona. More than anything else, Lisa has leveraged her platform for her true passion as an advocate for the LGBTQ community as well as her canine charity. She continues to lead the charge with her established foundation, Vanderpump Dogs, which she recently made into a new reality TV show streaming on Peacock this summer. And while she works on finding forever homes for all of these rescue dogs in need, my hope is that I can somehow convince her to adopt me in the process. I hope you enjoy. So how are you doing? Or as I like to say, how are you really? Well, I'm actually quite optimistic now. It's been a very long 13 months. It was the middle of March since we had to close down all our restaurants. And I think we anticipated it probably being a month or two, but it was very kind of upsetting because it's not just a business, it's our life as well. So we basically just kind of retreated back to Villa Rosa, which is, I have to say, a wonderful place to to be in isolation, but it was also a lot of work because normally I'm working, you know, we have nighttime businesses and we work in the day. So I normally have two or three women to help me that been with me for years, but everybody just wanted to go home. So I've been kind of managing the house and everything that that entails for a year. And then I started filming. I filmed Overserved for 12 episodes, which I produced. And we started that in November. And then I started doing Vanderpump Dog Show on Peacock. And I started doing Perfect. So the last four months I've been very productive and I've managed to write, not quite finished, a book my second book so and start a podcast so yes I'd be very proactive and productive but wow this is a year that we will never forget well especially in your industry because hospitality has been especially in Los Angeles has been hit extra hard so do you think are there things that you've learned in this last year that you will take with you moving forward as far as operating those types of businesses well you can't be insured for that I mean we were prepared for anything but just not that you know a pandemic is something that you can't we never envisaged that but I mean we should have done in one way because it happens every 50 60 100 years we've had Asian flu Hong Kong flu you know we've had so many kind of variants but you can't be insured for that because it kind of it's such a potentially global problem so I think just to keep standing still cost a fortune for the restaurant industry people think oh if you just shut the doors and you talk to the landlord but it wasn't like that I think it was going to cost us something like three million dollars just to keep the restaurants closed 
Um, so we, of course, apply for PPP. We got PPP. But for a lot of our friends who were in restaurant business, it wasn't quick enough and it wasn't enough, I mean, to cover all the X's. And you have to maintain the insurance because the insurance is from when things are filed, not from when you were open. So it's been, yeah, it's been really challenging. We've managed to kind of, you know, keep going. But a lot of restaurants haven't. 10,000 restaurants, small businesses, and many in our area have just succumbed to the pandemic, which I find so sad when you see people who put their life savings. Nobody ever gave us anything. Everything we created has come from everything that we started ourselves in business. It was hard to keep it going. And you think I'll save something for a rainy day. Well, it was bloody pouring. That's all I can say. Right. It's been raining pretty much continuously for the last year. And also, you know, it's like you you think about all the people who work in the restaurants, too. It's an, even in a different position who have a job one day and the next have nothing. And so many of these people are paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, I know it even in the way that it's trickled down to I have two little kids who are in school and doing virtual schooling is really only possible if you have a parent at home, if you have access to Wi-Fi, if you have so many things. Yes. It, all of a sudden, it really just really put into perspective how vast the sort of the differences between people and, and the disparity that we were already dealing with people long before any of this happened. I think one of the most heartbreaking things I saw were children sitting outside of a dry cleaners connected to their, you know, their internet. But, you know, a, a lot of people haven't, want to come, haven't wanted to come back to work as well because the unemployment was better. as much as they were getting. I so, know. you know, there's been two sides to this coin. But, yeah, it's just been a very sad situation. We are starting up again. We started Caesars a while ago, our restaurant in Caesars. Sir has opened. We just opened Pump with very stringent rules and very kind of safely. The government doesn't really understand all of the criterias when it comes to reopening. When they start saying we're going to 50% capacity, that doesn't make any sense to us because if you've still got to be eight foot apart, there can't be 50% capacity. You know, it's like not worth the paper it's written on. And so many people, so many restaurants that we've gone to, they've put in so much money into kind of creating outdoor spaces that didn't previously exist to then just be shut down the following day. You know, and my heart really does that, break for that's people. That's what happened with us. And that's terrible. It was survival of the fittest. It really was. And, um, you know, I've seen good friends of ours just go out of business, just close up shop. The restaurant that was owned by very good friends of ours next door to they just said, that's it, we're done. It's hard enough to make a living in the restaurant industry anyway, let alone with this. But, you know, we survived it, but we'd never seen anything like this before. Okay, Lisa, switching gears, tell me something fun. What is the last lie that you told? Probably about my weight. No. Oh. <laughs> do you know your weight? Like, do you have a scale? No, but I guess. But I always guess where it was 10 years ago rather than where it is now. I don't even consider that a lie. I think that's just good sense. That's like... Okay, yeah. Okay. So what occasion do you think it's okay to lie? Um, I've lied sometimes to maybe a vegan friend and said there's no... What? You... No, I wouldn't give them a pork chop or anything like that. No, gosh. I'm almost vegetarian myself. But if I've ever sprinkled some parmesan on something and the mm -hmm. sauce and um, other lies, I'm not a very good liar. I always think 
uh, contrary to what my fellow housewives used to say, I'm not a very good liar because I think to be a good liar, you have to have a really great memory. And it's much more complicated to lie is to tell the truth because when you tell the truth, you're just relying on your experience. Whereas if you have to make stuff up, even if it's something about not being able to go to a party or something, I'd rather keep it as the truth as possible because no, I would get myself in muddle. So true. It keeps it a lot more simple when you don't have to remember the lies you've told people. Yeah, just own your shit and say, sorry, this is the way it is. But yeah, keep it truthful. Okay, what have you had enough of lately? Gosh, there's so many things I've had. Uh, Political correctness in so many aspects of it because I think that, you know, we should live in a world that we should be empathetic. When it goes too far the other way that everybody's afraid to speak, I think that's a, a worrying society. Because I think that's how we evolve and that's how we grow. That's how we learn from our mistakes. If everybody's kind of tiptoeing around, there'll be no footprints anyway, you know? Right. Well, do you think that that's more of an American thing, though, versus a British sensibility? Well, the British sensibility has always been progressive in terms of humor and things like that. And I lived in France for many years. So definitely when it comes to sexual interaction and I think Catherine Deneuve spoke up about Me Too and told everybody to, you know, don't stop flirting. I mean, if somebody says to me, wow, you look great in that dress or your ass looks great. Take it. Bring it on. I want to hear it. Things like that. Yeah, that's a worry. You're raising your sons and you want them to be decent people and everything, but now it's almost like I say to my son, before you sleep with somebody, you've got to get it on video. But you know, Yeah, an agreement, a written agreement. Yeah, it's so crazy. Can you imagine the you know, height of passion in the 80s when you're just coming out of the Ku Club in Ibiza, or that's the night I got pregnant, saying, okay, I want it on video. You want it on video, but for a different reason. Well, I, I yeah, I probably wouldn't have children. I think the thing is too, it's like, you're very well known for your humor. And I think the thing is, is that there's always going to be certain things that are more funny when you say them in the non-politically correct way. Right. So it's like to have to adhere to that too. I think about all the movies and all the things that wouldn't even be allowed, you know, and by the way, I'm not saying that people should say things are inappropriate or anything, but I do think that there's a fine line between like, you gotta have a sense of humor about certain things. Well, I mean, come on. Do you think, just for example, yeah, I feel sorry for comedians because, it, you know, some of the inappropriate things are, are funny and then you have the cancel culture. Uh, for me, I do have a lot of empathy and I've worked for, in so many different areas with LGBTQ, with homeless for 12 years every week, all these different. So I do have empathy. So I very rarely kind of get it wrong on that level. But when we talk about things like, you know, would we name a character now Pussy Galore, like mm -hmm. in James Bond, or, <laughs> mm -hmm. or would we have Dick Van Dyke and things like that? No, we wouldn't. Everybody would raise their hands in horror, you know, at those kind of names. But we didn't even use to tongue-in-cheek nonsense, you know. And I, I do think there's a shame. It's a shame that we'll be taking all of life too seriously. Right, especially now that we need our humor most. Yeah, you know, it's been very stressful to see all this racial divide in the country, having raised my kids in Europe, pretty much. I mean, they were uh, spent a few years here when they were very young, but they always went to international schools. There, there was people from all walks of life, you know, all nationalities, and that was fascinating. So for them, it's kind of quite strange, really. And I was blessed by my parents 
to be raised without prejudice of any kind. My father was a creative director and artist. And so we saw a kind of plethora of different people walking through the door socially. And I think that's the ideal world where we want to live in, that where it's not, you know, so divided, it's just people of all colors, all sexual orientation and all races. Mm -hmm. And um, I never question somebody's sexual orientation of whether I should like them. I think you should judge people, but judge them on their character, nothing else. You know, I am not judging people. But yeah, as I said, my children even now, well, they're grown up, but find it very strange to get used to this whole kind of, all this aggression. And I think it was a bit different in England for sure. And definitely very different to the way I was raised. And to me, that was a blessing. Yeah, heretofore, everything is really going to be different, though. So I think it's like we're all adapting. And I think we're in such a heightened moment of how to move forward and what's appropriate. So we all know about what we feel like we've lost during this time. And especially for you in that industry, it's been really hard. But what do you think that you've gained in the last year, hunkering down at Villa Rosa? Well, I definitely have a better understanding, having run this house for nine months on my own of how everything works and so I you think- lost all your staff so nobody was coming in or you mean that it was just like you were spending so much more time there than normal no I didn't see anybody here for nine months I had one guy in the garden but mm-hmm. I had nobody in the house for nine months and it's like you know it's a 14 square foot house plus I was doing business calls plus I was writing plus I was cooking both meals every day and I like to make everything but no I saw nobody in the house till November yeah but that's a full-time job taking care of a property like it that. is a full-time job but I just to the challenge and I'm you know a perfectionist I think you strive for perfection but if you don't make it that's okay as long as you have those goals I was really kind of hands-on and I didn't want to look back at this time of our life that it was really depressing I knew it'd be challenging but I didn't want it to be depressing Right. I, although I don't know how you could be depressed in that house, Lisa. It's so gorgeous. And how did you get your, what about your flowers? Flowers, I had uh, Kevin Lee, if you ever saw Housewives, she, she, she. Mm-hmm. I do remember she, she, she. Yeah. The, the first week he sent me a load of orchids, you know, with those little kind of um The plastic things, yeah. He sent me, he said, that's going to keep you going for a few weeks, which was really sweet. And then because he was still working and doing small things that he was allowed to do, or he would occasionally drop flowers off at the gate again. It was depressing because of the challenges of closing the business. But what I made it, I made a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Oh my God. I I love that. Okay, let's talk about the notion of having it all. Is that an idea you subscribe to? I think there's two sides to that. There's always a compromise. If you're going to have it all, you have to compromise. You have to let some of the not so important things go. You know, I raised my two children and being involved in business. And I certainly know that any of the time, amount of time I spent with my kids as they were growing up, you know, your kids don't remember the time that you're away and work. They remember the time that you're with them. So if you're going to be with them, you've got to be very present. I was very hands-on mother. I even... Uh, taught at the kids' school for three months a year for three years. Having it all, they always say, you know, marriage, children, career, pick two. Think that when the children were really young and needed me, I loved having children, but I definitely made compromises. 
So yeah, you, you can have you can have most of it, but you can't have it all in anything in life. Do you think it's a timing thing? So it's like at that time you really focused on motherhood, and then you got to a place where now it's like I, I'm blown away by how much you do and how much you get done probably in a day, and how much you're doing still. And it's just it's such a testament to the fact that we're always evolving. You're always able to keep redefining yourself and redefining what you want your life to be about. And I'm really inspired by that. Well, I do make very good use of my time. Absolutely. I wake up normally about six o'clock. I look at some of my social media stuff. I really like to connect with people that followed me and supported me because I couldn't have been on television this long without their support. And especially when I'd been the recipient of aggression on reality show, the audience's support means everything to me so I do wake up early I think exercise is a key to mental health as well and having worked with the tragic the suicide prevention for LGBTQ never thinking that suicide would touch my own life with my only siblings so that kind of knocked me for six but yeah I've been very proactive in in creating many things I'm passionate about our band dog foundation but the people I have around me you know, are incredible. And the love of dogs, we have spoken at Congress. I have access to getting things done. I've spoken at United Nations, spoken at Congress, co-written a resolution. There's many things. Writing this book, I have 12,000 words written so far. I haven't had a ghostwriter. So what are you aiming for? How many do you need? A bit more. I, I just need a more stories mm-hmm. that I'm kind of recollecting and then I will give somebody the book to organize but that's been a labor of love as well because I've been the editor of magazine as you know and so I like writing my dog foundation is everything I'm passionate about a lot of things I, I like to be compassionate as well the saddest thing for me about closing Villa Blanca which was at the end of its lease nearly at the end of its lease and we thought well we're not going to get it up and running before this pandemic, you know, poor things come back. So it, we'd had it for 14 years. And for that restaurant to have helped feed the homeless and cook every Monday before Housewives, poor us on television, every Monday and to go serve the food. And I, I thank God now with this administration, they're doing something about the homeless because it's out of control in California. It's out of control. It, it is wild, wild, wild. And it's there's a lot of mental health problems. There's a lot of people that need help. And I know from having interacted with the homeless, you know, on a weekly basis for a long time, not recently, but there were a lot of people that didn't even want to be in a home. They wanted to wander. But there's also people that just living below the poverty line that just, you know, couldn't cope. And then to see it get worse and worse. And I've seen it get worse in the last few years exponentially. I, I met with Mayor Garcia and they're doing something about it. But not every single person is going to take it. You know, they, they don't want to be in, in the, in the uh, hostels by midnight and, and have drug testing. So it's a huge problem. Huge problem. Yeah. I mean, you know, for anyone who lives in Los Angeles, you can easily attest the tent cities and the amount of people living on the streets right now is like nothing I've ever seen. I think it's 150,000, Alexa. I think it's inexcusable. It is totally inexcusable for the money that's in this state how we're not able to figure out a better solution. But to your point, everybody is different. But we had a woman who actually was even living in our neighborhood 
And a few of us got together and we went and we said, listen, we're going to help to put you into some sort of a home. You know, we want to, it's not safe for a woman to be living on the street. We want to get you off. We want to make sure that you're getting any help that you need. And she wasn't interested. I've had this conversation. I'm not an expert on it. And I don't profess to be at all, even though we've worked, as I said, with the homeless for years and and there's incredible organizations like we've worked with that Covenant House. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so sad to me. And when you see all the trash gathering around the people and you know there's disease that's rampant with typhoid and things like that, it's a very scary situation. So I'm glad that the government are, you know, attempting to do something about it. Yeah, I'm not an expert either. And I really actually want to educate myself more so that I can understand how I could be helpful regionally within what's going on because it it feels like it's like nothing I've ever seen. Look, we deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something that we take every day. Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin is formulated with high-quality nutrients in bioavailable forms that your body can actually use. So what you won't find are sugars, GMOs, major allergens, synthetic fillers, and artificial colorant. Plus, the fresh taste and delayed-release capsule design make taking your vitamins easy. It may seem silly, but not only do I feel good about how these vitamins make me feel on the inside, but I like the way their packaging looks on the outside. And I know that sounds trite, but honestly, I want to set myself up for success. And the best way that I know to make sure I will take the vitamins every day is to leave them out on my countertop. So the fact that the packaging and the vitamins themselves look good is icing on my OCD cake. Ritual allows me to make sure I am taking all of my nutrients without having to worry about the fuss of stopping and picking up vitamins. Your multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping always. So you can start snooze or cancel your subscription at any time. And if you don't love ritual within your first month, they will refund your first order. Get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. So visit ritual.com forward slash other lies to start your ritual today. Talking about designing a life. Did you ever imagine that this would be what your life would be like? I mean, obviously you didn't grow up thinking about reality TV or anything like that, but what did you envision for yourself? Well, I got married at 20. I'd only known Ken six weeks when we got engaged. He knew my brother for a few years before that. And people were saying, well, how did you know you wanted to settle down? And I said, well, I have no intention of settling down I just found somebody I could play with you know and Ken was 16 years older than me but I never really thought much about the future and I I went to drama school at nine years old and so I always thought that I would probably carry on with the acting I mean I took 40 weeks of acting work it was never really about on housewives because there were two other actresses you know, right. so it wasn't yeah child actresses yeah so I had you know a lot of experience as a childhood actor for me my parents they gave me a good upbringing but they gave me a good kick in the ass as well you know so I had a good education I was blessed to have that in terms of work ethic yes I got out there I had a job ever since I was old enough to remember because money it's not about the money it's about the freedom it represents I I had no idea of what I would be doing I do know that when I met Ken 
I didn't want to travel anymore because we were so obsessively in love. I didn't want to go away, which a lot of acting jobs entail uh, spending time away from each other. You know, then I had Pandora when I was 25. And then we came back here. I tried acting again. I did a few little gigs, but I had no idea. There were so many things that I've wanted to do that I've managed to accomplish. I never really understood the power of having such an amazing platform as reality television, because when I was first asked to do it, I was like, no, nah, I don't think that's for me. So, but when I got into, I've used it for the greater good. A lot of the things, you know, being able to change some of the animal rights laws and inhumane treatment of, you know, dogs and, and try to pass resolutions and draw attention to many things. There's been, yeah, some, some things that I wouldn't have been able to achieve without this platform. Right. And you've certainly used it to the best of your abilities. Like you said, you are like, to me, you epitomize, like you are a grand dame. And I wonder, like, you feel very, or you seem rather very confident. And I wonder if you have always felt confident or if that's something that has evolved with time. Good question. I think I was always pretty confident, but you always have that voice inside your head. And what I find extraordinary is it, Life is all about increments and, and little steps and baby steps. And, you know, for instance, public speaking, and I don't mean like this, I mean to a room full of people, I think terrifies most. And I've managed to overcome that, that I enjoy inspirational women speaking. And my book is a lot about, it's a book I wish I read when I was a teenager. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves for to strive for perfection and to fulfill that um, ambition. But it's okay to strive for it, but failure is also an option. And it's about being strong and it's about being bold and making choices. There's a lot of very smart people that are never successful. And it's because they don't have the confidence to push themselves and don't doubt yourself. And if you get it wrong, that's okay too. I get things wrong and I say, oh no, how can I revisit that? How can I, you know, how can I be better at that? Right. Do you believe in manifestation? I mean, you hear those stories, like Jim Carrey says he wrote himself a check for, for a million you know, dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a million dollars. And then he got that check. I do think it's healthy to put it out there. I think it's also healthy to talk to yourself people are going to probably sound batshit crazy, to torture yourself and to sometimes, you know, just get things, put things out out there in, in the stratosphere, so to speak. I, I'm a realist, but I'm also a dreamer. Right. And, that, and that's why you're so inspiring. So you obviously, you work with Ken a lot. How long have you been married at this point? Uh, 39 years. And what is the secret? Because like you said, you were a child bride that was so young to get married. And you, you know, you're still evolving and everyone evolves and it's either like you grow together or you grow apart. So what's been your secret? Well, I just turned 60. So yeah, 39 years. Um, I feel in my mind that I'm 45. I don't know why. Because I, you look I, 45, I think. I, I actually, funnily enough, don't look a lot different to how I did then. What's the secret? There's many secrets. I, I don't think we get it right all the time. And when people talk about a perfect marriage, I don't think there is one. And I think one of the secrets for me, not being restless and actually being committed to the marriage is the fact that he 
supported me in things that I wanted to do and let me grow. And I think if you try to stifle a partner, especially the person you're going to be at 21 isn't the person you're going to be 39 years later. Let's hope. So you either support your partner and you discuss things and things that are ridiculous, but we've done ridiculous things too. We've moved and lived in three or four different countries, you know, and moved across the world. And as I said, who would ever think a little girl would end up with probably one of the prominent dog rescue, mind you, I've always been crazy about dogs, but, you know, in, in America, him letting me explore many options, having a sense of humor, is paramount you have to be able to laugh at yourself you have to be able to say sorry because we all fuck up at some point i mean we do so i think the problem is idealism is our enemy because we look at this kind of idealistic social media uh, kind of feed that's coming at us all the time and compare and despair look at somebody like kim kardashian until she filed the divorce you might have thought they had it all and, you know, the relationship. So I, I think you can be hopeful, but idealistic. I, I, it's, uh, it's probably not going to happen. You're always going to have some shit coming around the corner. Plus, you have to have a really strong union to go through something like a reality TV experience, because I feel like historically that has been bad for a lot of marriages, right? You know, when they get involved in shows and then all of a sudden it sort of exacerbates the problems or it magnifies or people change and you guys have been able to weather that well I think with Ken I we've seen you very much see his true self you know he's actually even being cross and said no no come on out you know he has no problem with just telling it how it is but another thing I think is very important why the fun breakdown of so many marriages in reality television is sometimes it's been a little emancipation of the woman. Maybe the woman has been more deferential in the couple's dynamic, and suddenly she's thrown into the spotlight. She's earning her own money, and suddenly the balance changes. I mean, if I had a dime for every time Ken has been called Mr. Vanderpump, which <laughs> I didn't change my name when we got married. His name's Ken Todd. You know, you've got to be a strong man to kind of, or, or sometimes people are all coming at you and and he ends up as the plus one so he's kind of secure in terms of you know letting the that kind of chips fall where they may when it comes to that he's okay he deals with that but for a lot of guys that might be a lot you know that might be a lot right you I, I sort of feel like you're synonymous with west hollywood right now and i think that obviously you're an icon but particularly feel so resonant here but I read that after you had your kids, you actually moved out of the States because you didn't want to raise them in LA. Is that true? Well, that wasn't quite true. It was we- <laughs> Or was it the earthquake? Yes, how do you know? I mean, I'm a sleuth. No, I, you know, I read something that basically after the 94 earthquake, you guys were like, that's enough. And you had restaurants at the time, right? Yeah, we had a restaurant that was trashed, completely demolished. It was near Northridge. I was so traumatized by that 4.30 in the morning, the whole house shaking. My grandmother, she was with us and she was like, the blitz, you know, us through the war and everything. It was so terrifying. We decided to move back then. Yeah. How did you feel about the earthquake the other night? 
Did you feel that? I was terrified. I'm also, it's an unknown quantity. When it went like that, I think, is it going to get bigger and, and of course, keep escalating? And also as a control freak, I find that very difficult. But, you know, I love Los Angeles. America has been so good. And so, it has been so funny. And I tell you, apart from get some negative tweets on Twitter or something, for the most part, people are extraordinary to us. I mean, just people come up to me, they'll connect with me over the love of dogs or they'll empathize with me over suicide and tell me their stories, you know, or their post or adoption because of Max or the LGBT issues or design things or so many different things. And for the most part, I've just been treated brilliantly by America and, and I, it's really saddens me to see this divide and I hope it can come back together. You referenced this for women where there's so many societal pressures. You talked about Kim and things looking a certain way, but often we know that the way that they feel or the way that they are behind the scenes is quite different. What was it like for you signing up to then put your life out there? Because relatively, or prior to that, you were relatively a private person. And so all of a sudden, everything is out on the table. And you seem like someone who, like you said, it's just like the more you share, the more support you're getting for a lot of things. But that can also feel scary to put your personal life out there. Um, there were some things with Max that was concerned because when I started Housewives, he was about 18. So I felt he was safer then. But, you know, being adopted from foster care, that was something that was always very much a trigger for me emotionally. But then he decided, you know, he wanted to find his birth family and then he stepped back from it. But I was always like, I am here, whatever choice you want to make, you know. Mm -hmm. um, some of that was scary initially. I remember one of the first scenes that we did in Housewives and Ken had no idea what we were doing. And I didn't really understand the magnitude of the invasive kind of forum that we were entering. And um, I remember, because I always take the piss out of Ken and always laugh and always joke. And, you know, he's got a good sense of humor and luckily doesn't care what I say ever. He doesn't care what I do. If I got drunk and danced on the bar all last night, he'll be like, how's your hangover? He's never going to be telling me off about anything I do, you know. Oh, uh, thank God. And um, I remember I walked into, and we were, planning to go to Vegas and he was packing his bag and they were filming and I said why are you taking all this underwear you know you only wear one a week like that joking you know just uh -huh, that. Uh -huh. and he's like looked at me like did you really just put that out there on you know television of course I was winding him up and lying you know he looked at me like oh my god like what you know you've got to be careful what you say I never cared what I said I just had fun with it and if I was emotional I was honest with it I just felt that maybe that's why the audience supported me. I've made mistakes in reality television. I've looked, I've laughed at things because other women laughed and it probably wasn't cool to laugh. That, and I look back and I think, oh, why didn't I say? That, that's totally out of order, you know. But yeah, I've made mistakes, but you learn from your mistakes. Yeah. But what's the tea on the experience of being on a show like that? Because I have a friend who was on something and I know it's like, especially early days, listen, I'm sure it got different, you know, the more seasons you were on, but it's a lot of work on your end too, right? Like, and you have all these businesses and you had children. Were you prepared for that? Or what was the biggest surprise? The biggest surprise was, I think over the years, how much love I've received. I, that sounds really corny and really 
schmaltzy, and I don't mean it like that, but the amount I think people have resonated with things. I'm not the housewife, you know, that stands there and, you know, has people kind of doing my hair and makeup and stylists and all that. I mean, that's just so not me. They would often see me open the door on housewives and I would have cooked the dinner and opened the door in an apron. And I don't know, I just wanted it to be our real life. And I don't like all the bullshit when people are faking it and all that obnoxious crap. I don't like that in life, let alone on reality television. But I had an amazing time. I left. When did you know that it was time for you to leave? Well, I've been very upfront about this. When my brother died, I floundered. He was my only sibling. And I regret and I think that suicide radiates so many feelings. When my brother died, I started Band of Punk Rules two days after his funeral. I was committed to that. It's an eponymous show. It has my name on it. I asked for that year off on Housewives. And they said, no, we need you to come back and we want you to come back. But I didn't feel strong enough to enter into that kind of combative forum as it so often can be. It was just when the whole cast was against me, I think it was probably for the fourth time. I know there were a lot of feelings when I was greenlit Band of Pump Rules with the same network and the same production company and have Band of Pump Rules since season two on Housewives was probably a lot of people were trying for spin-offs and maybe that created some feelings I don't know I wasn't in a place where I could I would cry if I opened the fridge and there was no butter in there you know I was just in a mess for months and I sought help for that but you never really get over it you never get over it you just get used to it and um I just walked away and they asked me to come back many times they asked me to go to the reunion and I just said, no, there's nothing you could pay me. And I, and it wasn't as if I walked out of my contract, so I didn't get paid for it, which was quite a lot of money. I just couldn't do it anymore. And to have who I thought was one of my good friends just coming at me, attacking me. And to me, you know, when you say, as a woman, I'm a God-fearing, I hate that expression, but I'm a religious woman, you know, that supported our church for many years. Um, when you say... I swear to you on my children's life. That 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 means something. That's it. You know, I don't throw mm-hmm. those words around lightly. So um, I just decided that was it. And there was nothing they could do to get me back. The bitchiness and the aggression that I suffered in that, it just wasn't something that I could really deal with at that time in my life. And isn't some of like, you know, in terms of some of it being manufactured versus the real effects of that, how do you navigate the difference between trying to create drama for the show and the... Well, I think there are some people that do that, that have actually been, you know, pretty upfront saying it's a job, you know, as you show up, you do a job. I never thought of it like that. I thought of it as something, of course, it's a job, you get paid for it, but I never thought of it as trying to create something. I always think our real lives are more interesting than than fiction. And I think there was a lot of things going on in people's real lives that have transpired now that you, you never saw. How, how does it come to that point where suddenly all this comes out and you see no lead up to it? So for me, I don't think you manufacture it, but you're encouraged to speak openly about your thoughts and that obviously drives drama but I I would never 
want to create something out of nothing. So after that year, following your brother's death, you talk a lot about mental health regardless, and obviously being aware of that and working within that space. How do you tend to your own mental health regularly? And what sort of extra work did you have to do during that time too, dealing with something as devastating as that? I think, well, then I didn't deal with it very well. I, I was very cheerful. I couldn't cope on many levels. And I'm not saying I had suicide ideation, but when you're only sibling and you're depressed and you, his words would echo through my mind of I'm going through a nanny K and, you know, and I, I just, it was very hard to kind of compute it, digest the whole thing. So I went on antidepressants for three months and, you know, for in England, I mean, I see the doctors every 10 years, whether I need it or not. You know, I take an aspirin occasionally. I didn't take anything hormonally going through all the different changes we go through in our lives as women. So for me to take medication, I knew that I was struggling. And then I went to see a grief therapist. And one of the most amazing things that he said to me was this isn't a depression that lasts, you know, that there's no end to it. He said, Situational. Yeah, it's circumstantial and you can look at the light at the end of the tunnel and you need to walk through. So that really did help me. And I talked, you know, to a grief counsellor. Then I was just getting on my feet and then my mother died unexpectedly 13 months later. Oh which, so I felt that I'd lost both of them without any warning. She died of a blood clot. She said she had stomach ache, went to the doctor. They had, you know, the results that day and then... She literally said she had a stomachache, lay down, and she was dead within a minute. And she had a blood clot for, was it in her stomach? And it moved up to her lungs and her, yeah, we oh. had an autopsy, a coroner. And then, yeah, she died. So, so that was so kind of disconcerting, you know, to kind of have that a year later or 13 months later. But I, I was more prepared for that than I was my brother because my mother was 85 but I thought you know she was a strong old stick she would be going to she was 100 like my grandmother mm -hmm. you know my mother was like the top two percent immense so she was very smart but she'd just been diagnosed with early Alzheimer's so maybe some silver cloud a uh, silver lining in that cloud Right. It's so interesting that you say in the UK, you would go to the doctor once every 10 years, right? And you said earlier about it being a little bit more progressive there, but the idea of antidepressants, like I hope that, you know, we can remove all the stigma around that. Because if you think about circumstantial depression or what we've all been experiencing over the last year, I think that the more people that can talk about if there's something going on and you need that extra help, there is no shame in that game. Not at all. If you say to most people, I've dealt with depression, most people will say, I understand that. Yeah. I've had those days. And that's okay. That's life. And it's about getting yourself out. I think there's so many components for me to keep myself balanced. And I think, you know, as I say, with bright light and exercise and being proactive, you know, all those things are definitely components to keep me on the on the level there. But yeah, I had two or three kind of not you know, down. first it was my brother then it was my mother then it was the pandemic and then jiggy so if i if i'd known three years ago that those four things were coming that would just to me seem insurmountable but yeah you kind of 
get through it and you you know the support of your partner and good friends and and family and then you have your tearful moments even now there's a trigger you know my brother's birthday's coming up just in six days and you know that's a that's a trigger I mean but then again you know you should remember them and you know when when somebody dies they take everything with them when a sibling dies it's your only sibling right so the memories all the stories I think we're so ill-prepared for losing people in our lives and death is something that is the only thing that's really guaranteed. So many of us are not prepared and don't know how to handle it. And as, as a society, we rarely really talk about it or create any sense of community around it. And so I wonder for you, like as a control freak, cause I'm the same way and feel the same way about the earthquakes. I have certain people in my life that I've been so fearful forever that I'm going to lose them. And it sounds like your brother was not one of them, right? Like, so that really was a double whammy because then it hit you. Yeah, yeah, that was a real, a real kind of kick in the teeth. So so for me, where I was in Housewives that time, there was nothing that anybody could say to me. That's it, I'm done. Yeah. And we just passed a resolution at Congress with Elsie Hastings, who sadly passed last week, Congressman Elsie Hastings. He just gave us a shout out on C-SPAN that day. And I was so excited and I was so kind of, you know, revved up over mm -hmm. getting our resolution passed through Congress. And then to come back and be accused of being a liar over some petty bullshit. I was just like, done. Right. And, and that's like one of those moments too, where it's like, you know what matters, you know what doesn't matter. And you preserved your own sanity and mental health by moving forward and walking away. Yeah, I still don't think it was intact when I moved forward. <laughs> well, you know, um, what's left of it? Yeah. And obviously now you're doing all these other shows. You know, I know everyone's asked you, would you ever consider going back to that format or you think you've outgrown it? Um, I think with four shows right now, if people are sick of me, I think that's enough. It was an experience. I don't mm -hmm. want to denigrate it, but I jokingly said on Watch What Happens Live, you know, oh yeah, if they fired all of them, yeah, they're not to go back. But when you don't get on with people and you don't see and you have no respect for some of the other cast members, I, I wouldn't put myself in that situation authentically. And so I think I'd be inauthentic if I went back. And, you know, I, I see what's going on there. It's not something I want to be part of. Right. Well, and especially because you do so much, like you said, so... I know you've been incredibly passionate about dogs. I wanted to ask you a question because I used to troll Vanderpump dogs on third and I would always go in there, but I had a dog for many years who I had to put to sleep when I was about six months pregnant with my daughter, who's now eight. And I was crushed. Like I was devastated. I felt so close to dogs all my life and I've never now connected with another dog. Do you think that that happens or do you think that maybe it's like because I have young kids I just don't have the space for it I think that's definitely a factor I don't think I was as dog obsessed I'm a very tactile mother you know mm -hmm. I would squeeze them bite them like every part of their body had a special name for teddy bears yes. everything so I don't think I was as obsessed with dogs when the children were young however as soon as I left home I got a dog but I do think it's very important if you lose a dog especially if you can rescue one and save one from, you know, being euthanized. But I do think you can transfer the grief, but the love will always be different. And I really would encourage people, even if they just lost a dog, to try and, you know, transfer the grief 
and distract yourself into loving another dog. But will it be different? I think you love every man differently. I think you love every child differently, every relationship different. Every situation's differently and use your smarts to assess every uh, situation differently. For me, again, I, I talk about in my book that sometimes walking away is a good thing for you to do. There's 7 billion people on this planet. If you've got a friend that's toxic or doesn't make you feel good about yourself, it's only chance that you're friends with them in the first place. Walk away. Mm -hmm. You know, don't have anybody in your life that you feel is trying to put you down or you shouldn't have to endure that. And same with relationships. Life's too short. It's You cannot do that to yourself. Yeah, that is obviously something that you really personify in making that decision to, like you said, you stepped away from the paycheck, you stepped away from that whole moment and put yourself first. Lisa, what about taking victories? Are you someone who is able to look at the life that you've built for yourself and all that you've created? And, you know, I sort of feel like in these moments when I'm talking to people, it's really fun because in speaking to anyone about some of it, it's like this like light bulb moment of like, yo, oh my God, and we, and we did this and we passed this through Congress and we built this and I've raised this for this amount of people. Do you on the daily, are you able to kind of recognize how much you've done? It's funny you say that because, yeah, it did resonate with me when we passed a resolution on Congress and all those women wanted to talk about was Radar Online. And I'm sorry, I don't want to denigrate Radar Online because they'll say some shit about me, but who cares? Was, you know what I mean? It's like, whatever. I posted something on social media yesterday, which was because I, I got the Mary Pickford Award and it's um, an award of contribution and from the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce and everything. And I put that on social media, which I don't normally. I mean, I'd be blessed. I've got table full of awards here. And, and I very rarely ever acknowledge it or put it on social media. And I put it on social media yesterday because I thought, oh, this is really nice. I'm going to do that. And the amount of response I, I, I received was just incredible that people were happy. I mean, there was one or two people that say, I, I don't like your hair. Like, who cares? I don't right, care about right. my hair. Or, uh, what surgery have you done to your face? Actually, nothing, asshole. I only have Botox. In the, you know, I'm no, there's no scars. There's no face. Well, I can it's attest nothing. it looks incredible. Everybody, everybody that I work with is dying to know what you do skincare-wise, by the way. I go to Simon Arian, who's a genius. I have, you know, I've had laser a couple of times. I have Botox. I think we all went through nine months or whatever without Botox thinking we didn't need it. And then we suddenly thought, oh yeah, I think maybe we do, <laughs> you know. Get on enough Zooms and you'll be reminded exactly what your face needs. Yeah. I've had an amazing life in, in things that being recognized. and But my greatest achievement is raising two decent human beings. Yeah. What, what is more important than that ultimately? I think, you know, what are you going to be remembered for? is very important and learning from others' mistakes. Right. I think you can look at relationship and learn from your parents' mistakes, you know. What is left for you that you feel that you still very much want to achieve? Well, I love creating things. So I'm, I mean, I'm gonna be doing another restaurant soon, which I've started now. So I'm excited about that. And we've just been designing all of that. A lot of it's in my head and then working with Ken and, and Nicolaine and then doing this, all the beautiful things we've been creating. I like to create. Oversurf has been a blast, that show for me, because, you know, just being able to have so much fun and to do that through the pandemic was just really invigorating. Are you liking doing the podcast? 
I love doing the podcast because I like talking to people mm. and to be able to talk to all people from all walks of life. And I have like viewers phone in with their questions and talk to them. And I think sometimes, especially a lot of young women, they feel that they don't have somebody to talk to. So I like doing that. I'm just enjoying the moment, but it's a struggle. Everything's a struggle. Getting ready to open TomTom now. I'd like to do a little bit more work with LGBTQ. I'd like to eradicate that conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I want to get involved with. What, Lisa, today would be your having it all? I think having some freedom and be able to interact with our friends and be able to go back to normal. I think we took our normality for granted. The fact that we live in a country that's relatively safe. I think to see America become more inclusive on many, many different levels, not just race. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about religion, sexual orientation. I'm talking about stop judging each other. I think I'm pretty happy, even though I'm stressed because I'm trying to get everything kind of reactivated. It's hard to have a business that's been closed down for a year. Now Ken's down the street will be opening Tom Tom in two weeks. And uh, I have one friend in particular. I want to shout out my friend, Nate, who's obsessed with Tom Tom. So we will be there as soon as it reopens. Oh, well, let me know. I mean, it, and it was voted the number one cocktail bar in Southern California. And it is a beautiful experience. One of the things I really like doing as a restaurateur, I'm very ambiance driven. Of course, the food's got to be great, but I'm very ambiance driven. I like people to walk into our restaurant, to walk into Pump. It's a Tuscan garden mm -hmm. you know you feel like you could be anywhere music and the whole vibes very sexy so I, I do like to create beautiful spaces how your surroundings make you feel I'd always encourage you whatever space you're in like I see your backdrop where I'm looking at you it looks very beautiful it looks very elegant oh thank you very much that means so much coming from you uh, well, it's lovely. And I have to work out of my home right now. And all of us, you know, are trying to make every nook and cranny operate as several different things. It's like your yeah. office, your homeschool, your podcast studio. So yeah. I'm, I'm sad that we couldn't be together in the studio. But Lisa, I love talking to you today. For anyone who doesn't follow along, where can they find you? Um, on cast media, all things Vanderpump. Mm -hmm. And they can watch me on Pooch Perfect, which is on Tuesday night, and Overserve, which is on E on Thursday. And then Vanderpump Dogs, that show all about my rescue center, is coming out soon on Peacock. So, yeah, and hopefully, if I get off this call, I should be putting the final touches to my book. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for taking the time today. I so appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And do call me. I will. Absolutely. Thank All you. All right. Bye, darling. Bye. Bye. Having It All in Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah underscore Riff and the show at Having It All Podcast. See you next week.